0: Heavenly Father, again, we look to you. We thank you again for your son and all the gifts you give to us. And one of those gifts is your word, where you have taught us through the pages of the Bible how we can conduct ourselves, what it means to know you and to walk in step with you. And we ask you today that you'd speak to us through our time together. together. Give us real understanding, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. About a year after I moved to Morgantown, West Virginia, to start the church here, I decided to go get a business degree at WVU, West Virginia University. I'd already graduated from Bible college and uh, before I even moved here, I was a student at Ohio State studying computer science, but I didn't finish that degree because I came here to start the church. And so I decided I wanted to kind of finish a business degree once I moved here part of what I was required to take when I arrived and enrolled at the college was a business law course. And early on in this business law course, I, I decided I really didn't like the teacher. I mean, this isn't usually true of me. I tend to like all teachers. But this particular teacher was particularly Irreverent. He was, he was kind of what I'd call vile. I was a little bit surprised at the lack of professionalism because this was obviously a business course. And so I was thinking of dropping the class for that reason, but there was another reason why I was thinking of dropping it, and that is that I was having some trouble grasping some of the concepts. One of the concepts in particular in this B-Law course was, was the idea that decisions in a trial are often made not based on just the merits of the case before the court, but on precedence. In other words, judges will look at how decisions were made in the past, and if it's a similar case, then many times that's how their verdict will be, lining up with precedence. And I just had trouble grasping that concept because I just thought things should be either right or wrong and justice should be served in that way. I've since come to realize that there's some benefit in precedence. But anyway, early on in the course, I was having trouble understanding that concept. I didn't like the teacher. And so I was gonna drop the course, but I decided to wait until after I took the first test. In this course, the first test was gonna be early enough in the semester that I could see how well I did before dropping the class and having a penalty to do so. And so finally the day came for me to take this exam and I was sitting there taking the test and question after question, I realized I didn't know the answer. Now it was multiple choice, but I went from question after question and I've never had a test that was quite like this one. But with each answer, I I just don't know the answer. I just don't know the answer. And so when I was done with that exam, I, I walked out of the class and pretty much decided, I'll probably drop the course, but let me wait and see my grade first. A few days later, the teacher posted the grades on the wall outside the classroom. And by the way, this was a huge class, maybe 300 college students in this class. And so when I arrived, there were students gathered around, all of them trying to find out what their grade was, and then finally it was my turn. And I walked up and found the right page and I found the right line for my grade and the grade I saw shocked me. I, I, just, I, I just couldn't believe it was true. And so I, I pulled out a, a piece of paper and I lined it up just to make sure it was right and sure enough I had indeed read the right line. I'd gotten a 98% on the test. And I just was shocked by that as I briefly looked at all the other grades, I realized that my grade was probably the second highest grade in the entire class of several hundred students. And I I was just amazed by that. Now some might say that on that occasion, I was just good at guessing but I'm convinced it was something else. I'm convinced that it was indeed the grace of God, the undeserved kindness of God when I was taking that particular test because I realized I didn't earn the grade. I I had not earned the grade and because I got an A in that first test and such a high A, I decided to, to stick with the course. I ended up grabbing a hold of the concepts and I ended up getting A's on all the rest of the tests and I was glad that I had stuck it out. The word grace, as it appears in the Bible, is used in a couple main ways. One of the ways it's used is to describe the power of God. In other words, the apostle Paul, he talked about a time when he was struggling with what was likely a physical condition, and he asked God to remove this condition from his life, and God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so the word grace there is equated with with power and enablement. And so we all as Christians need God's power, we need God's enablement in our lives in order to to live the Christian life as, as we should. The word grace though is also used in a second sense and it's in this sense that I've been using it throughout this series when God walked alone. And that is I've talked about it in terms of God's kindness. It's undeserved favor, unmerited, unearned kindness on the part of God toward us. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we read, for by grace you are saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, it's a gift. And so you realize that grace is used in that verse. And it equated with the idea of a gift. It's something that God gives us that we don't deserve. Now, the greatest expression of God's grace on our lives clearly is in this gospel message that we've been talking about. All of us deserve, because of our sin, to be judged by God, to be separated from God for all eternity. That's what we've earned because of our sin. The wages or penalty of our sin is, is death, which is physical death, eternal death, spiritual death. And yet God in his great kindness toward us sent his son to die in our place and for our sin. And when we put our trust in him, we receive this gift. We receive God's grace. And there's no greater display of grace than that. But what I want to talk about here today is that God's grace as reflected in the gospel that we've been talking about, is significantly more than what I would call eternal life insurance. In other words, it's not just a message that we believe so that we'll go to heaven when we die, but the gospel or the grace of God is something that's a lot bigger than that, and the very grace that we received when we put our faith in Christ is the grace that we need to live our Christian lives as we go through our day. The gospel of Christ means we're forgiven and Jesus is the eternal life giver but he's also the present life sustainer. And many times I think we feel like we get right with God through faith in Christ but then we go about trying to live our lives as Christians in our own strength, in our own effort. And what I want us to understand here today is the way we receive Christ is the same way in which we need to start now walking in step with him. In Colossians 2, 6 and 7, Paul put it this way. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in Him. In the same way as you received Him, walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, overflowing with gratitude. In the same way that we were born anew by relying on Jesus Christ to save us, We're encouraged in this verse to rely on Christ to sustain us in the Christian life as well. The word rooted, by the way, in this verse, when it says that we were rooted and built up in him, is in the past tense. It's a reference to when we put our faith in Christ. And so it could be interpreted this way, walk in reliance on Christ, having been rooted in him when you were saved. In other words, you were planted firmly in Jesus Christ to be your savior. Now, plant yourself firmly in Jesus Christ as you go fleshing out the Christian life. Paul had the same idea in 2 Timothy 2.1 when he was writing to his young son in the faith, Timothy, he said, You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong now in this grace, this power, and undeserved kindness. Now, why do we need God's grace why do we need even the gospel as we move forward? Don't we already know Jesus Christ? Yes. But we need God's grace for a lot of things. We need God's grace to grow as Christians. We need God's grace to change. We need God's grace to overcome sin in our lives. We need God's grace to face difficult circumstances that we might face in our lives. We need God's grace, especially I think these days, to love others well. We just, it's not something we can crank out. We need God's grace to do it. And I needed God's grace when I was taking that business law test. Although we shouldn't presume on the kindness or grace of God, sometimes he just gives us this grace. I want us to understand today that the gospel is not just about saving us in the future, it's about saving us in the present. That we began a relationship with the Savior and we need to continue that relationship. My takeaway today is this, that Jesus is the source of eternal life and spiritual life. He's the source of both, eternal life, but he's also the source of our spiritual life. And this is what Jesus was getting at when he said, I have come that you might have life and might have life more abundantly. I have come so that you might have life, eternal life. But I also came so that you might have an abundant, a fulfilled life. Now, the question I'd like to answer today is how practically does this happen? What does it mean to walk in step with Christ? And how do we kind of flesh this out? And I think the clearest explanation is found in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. And if you've read my book, I talk about this. And this is, by the way, also a subject I've talked about in the past. The reminder is so important Now, in John 15, the context is very significant. As I talked earlier with communion, Jesus was with his disciples, and he announced to them that he was gonna be leaving. In fact, he told them he was gonna die, and he was gonna be leaving them behind. And and they had trouble grabbing a hold of this. They had walked with Jesus for three years. They thought that he was gonna establish an earthly kingdom right away, They envisioned that they would be on thrones, sitting next to Jesus as he began to rule in Jerusalem. And then all of a sudden, Jesus begins announcing this idea, oh, by the way, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna be leaving you. I have to return to the Father. And this kind of put them in a tailspin of sorts. John chapters 14, 15, and 16, though, are all about Jesus' instructions to them about how to occupy themselves in his absence. This is what they needed to be doing and it's what we need to be doing in his absence as well. Now, I wanna focus today on John 15, five through eight. Let's begin reading in verse five. John 15, beginning in verse five. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. In other words, he's saying, stay connected to me. We can't be saved without Christ and we can't live the Christian life without him. Verse six, if anyone does not remain in me, he's thrown aside like a branch and withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire and they are burned. Now, let me mention at the outset here that this is not a reference to the fire of hell. He's not saying that if you get disconnected, you'll be gathered up and thrown into that place. That's not what he's talking about. He's just talking about a very well-known principle that his listeners would have been very familiar with, that if, if a branch gets separated from the vine, if it's torn off, it, what, what happens? Well, it dries up. It's no longer able to produce fruit. The only thing it's good for is to gather it up and maybe provide some warmth and that's all it's good for. Verse 7, he continues, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it'll be done for you. My Father's glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Now again, some of you have heard me talk about this before, but this section of the Bible came alive for me when I was a student at Bible college. I was in a season of my life that just things were really, really tough for some reason. I don't even know why. All I know is that I was a student at Bible college. I was discouraged. Everything had become for me kind of like a, a burden. My relationship with Jesus Christ seemed cold. It, it seemed distant. I was distant. I was drained. I felt dried out, kind of like a branch, And that's how I was feeling at the time. I desperately needed some good news. I needed the gospel to permeate my life at that time. Now, during this time, I was taking a missions course at the Bible college, and I had to study the life of Hudson Taylor, who was a missionary to China. And we were given to read the book, Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret. Now, at the time, I remember thinking that the book wasn't very well written, but Before I was done with that book, it literally changed my life. Hudson Taylor was someone that was just a workaholic. I mean, he just went and went and went. He was incredibly ambitious for God. He was someone who was so disciplined. He was so self-sacrificing. Even before he went to China, he would practice things like sleeping on the bare floor just to get used to what self-sacrifice might be like. And he was faith-filled. And God used him and great things were accomplished. But there came a season in his life where he was not doing very well. In this season, his money had run out. And the mission board didn't want to send him more money. In addition, other Christians in China were giving him a hard time, they were slandering his name, they were opposing him. And so he's facing that as well. And then he wasn't seeing much happen in his ministry. He realized that people weren't coming to faith in Christ as they had been doing before. And he wondered, what what is wrong? And then if I remember correctly, it was during this same season of life that he faced two tragedies. His, His wife died and one of his kids died. And then in the midst of all that, as if things could not get any worse, he himself became sick. He found himself lying on a bed. He was at the breaking point. Now, I want us to understand something here, and this is kind of this is the heart of it, if you could grab a hold of this. A person can't become a Christian until they come to the end of themselves. Most people think, you know, you get right with God by earning it, by doing good deeds. It's only until we come to a point where we realize there's nothing I can do, where we come to the end of ourselves, and then we reach to Jesus to be our Savior, I'm suggesting here today the same thing is necessary for us to experience the power of Christ in our lives. The same way in which we helplessly reached out to Jesus to save us is the same helplessness we need day by day as we trust in Jesus Christ. Hadn't Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing? Now, this is a phrase I struggled with in the past. Like, is it really true Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing? You know, I tend to think, well, sir, surely there's something I could do apart from Christ. He said, no. And I think what he means by that is nothing of spiritual significance. That really, God can't use us if we're, if we're doing it in our own strength. We need to rely completely on him. That's what the Christian life is about. And so, once again, my takeaway, Jesus is the source of eternal life and spiritual life. It's not about striving harder. It's not about working harder. It's about relying on Christ. It's actually about resting in him, which is the complete opposite of what Hudson Taylor was going through. Now, at the time, as Hudson Taylor was lying on his back, he began to evaluate everything about his life. Why is all this happening to me? Why am I going through such a hardship? Where, God, are you? Why am I not seeing fruit in my life? What is all this about His situation was dire. I mean, he was ready to give up at this point. And then one day while he was lying on his back in bed, he decided to read his Bible as was his habit and he came across the verses I just read. And I'd like to read them again. He read these words, I am the vine. Jesus said, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he's thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire and they're burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My father's glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. And you won't, by the way, produce much fruit or prove to be his disciples unless you're properly connected to him. Now, the example Jesus gave was like a vine and some branches here. And here's a picture of some grapes. And as long as the, the branch is connected to the, the vine there, it's gonna have the life it needs, it's gonna get the water it needs, it's gonna get the sustenance it needs. But what happens when it gets severed? What happens when we try in our own strength to crank out the Christian life, which is impossible to do? What happens we dry out We are saved when we attach ourselves to Christ, and we grow when we attach ourselves to Christ. It's exactly the same. Now, I have two things on a table up here. One of them is a branch, and you could probably see by this exactly how dry this is. This broke off and probably was full of life until it did, but at a certain point, it it broke off. If it, if it ever had leaves, which it likely did, it could not produce leaves once it broke off. It's dried up. It's really not good for anything. And Jesus was saying that's kind of what it's like to try to crank out the Christian life. We'll get all dried up. We will not be able to produce fruit. I have another illustration here. And for some reason, every time I think of John 15, I think of a fan. So I have a fan in my hand up here. And a fan is wonderful. You know, when you're hot, you can plug it in and and it cools you off. But let me ask you this question of what value is a fan if you don't plug it in? Another way to put it is what can a fan do on its own? It can do absolutely nothing. A fan is absolutely useless unless unless it's plugged in. But once you plug it in, then the fan becomes all it was made to do. It begins to be able to cool us off. And I think the same thing is true when it comes to our lives as Christians. We need to rely on Christ. The Apostle Paul put it this way again in Philippians 4, 13. He said, I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. And by the way, this phrase, I can do all things, it doesn't mean that he's gonna be able to do all kinds of miracles and things like that. What it's talking about is his ability to face difficulties his ability to accomplish whatever Jesus might have for him. I can do everything through him who strengthens me because the life giver is also the life sustainer. And so the essence of the gospel message is not just about the future, it's a message about the present as well. Now, when Hudson Taylor read this in John 15, his eyes were open and he realized he'd been striving. He'd been cranking out the Christian life He had not just simply been letting Christ's life flow through him. He was trying to do it in his own effort. He was not walking in the grace of Christ. He was walking in his own strength, not resting in Christ. Now, when I read this, I I wasn't experiencing everything that Hudson Taylor was. My circumstances were not nearly as bad as his were, but I felt depleted, I felt empty. And suddenly I saw with clarity what the problem was. I'd been trying to do it in my own effort, my own strength. That it wasn't about me even living for Christ so much as it is about Christ living through me. There's just a world of difference between just me cranking it out. Didn't God say, be still and know that I am God? Doesn't God get greater glory when he is able to accomplish things through us? Frankly, oftentimes I think we just plain get in the way. And when I saw this and I saw it was about a relationship and being properly connected to Christ, it was about enjoying Him. Suddenly, it was was almost like I was born again. A joy filled my heart and soul. My new prayer became Christ just lived through me. And for the next couple of weeks, it was kind of like I was walking almost in a euphoria to realize I could let go. It's, it's, not, it's not about me. My, my own faith doesn't reside in me, it's in Christ. The one who saved me is the one who could sustain me. And this is why Paul wrote to the Galatians in Galatians 2, 19 and 20. He said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith, in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. He said, you know, Jesus died on the cross and I realized that this person also died and I'm not the one living now, this Christian life. It's Christ living in me. The life I live in the body, he says, I live by faith in the Son of God. That sounds remarkably close to how we get right with God in the first place. Faith in Jesus Christ. The righteous live by faith. Just as we put our confidence in Christ to save us. We put our confidence in Christ as we walk day by day, moment by moment. And it takes a little while sometimes to grab a hold of what it means to rely completely on Christ as we live our Christian lives. So what should we do with this? I want to offer four suggestions. You could do all of them if you want, or just choose one to focus on. First one is this, is to evaluate. Evaluate whether or not you've been trying to to crank out the Christian life in your own effort and your own strength. And maybe this is why it's been so hard for you. You know, Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. But if it doesn't seem easy or light for you, maybe it's because you need to evaluate, is it Christ living through you or are you the one cranking it out? Second, abide. Stay connected with Christ. Are you developing your relationship with Jesus Christ? This is so important. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, and you realize it's about a conversation, you realize it's about a relationship, and this is why we encourage you all the time to be developing a relationship with God by reading the Bible, by praying, stay connected. Abide. Third is listen. Do you recognize when the Spirit of God is trying to speak in and through your life and you hear his voice? He wants to lead us. You know, we're told to walk in the spirit, walk in step with how the spirit of Christ is leading us. And I think as Christians, we need to get better about listening to what he's asking us to do and what he wants to empower in our lives. Listen, and then finally walk. Am I responding to Christ's leading in my life and depending on his power? See, the moment we say, I'm gonna do what you want me to do, Christ, at that moment, his power becomes available to us. And many times, it's not ahead of time. It's the moment we say yes when we yield to the spirit and what he's trying to accomplish in our lives, then suddenly his power becomes available to us. So which one applies to you? Evaluate, abide, listen, walk? The beginning, the middle, and the end of the Christian life is Christ. And I want to encourage us to keep our focus on him. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your son, the Lord Jesus, who when he went up to heaven, he sent his spirit to come to be with us, to live within us so that we wouldn't have to crank out the Christian life, but that we could rely on him. And we're grateful for that. We're grateful that you've saved us for eternity, but we're so thankful that we don't have to navigate this life in our own effort, our own strength. We recognize that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.